This is the EWN Podcast Network. Welcome to Change, Redefining Success, the podcast designed to inspire you and give you actionable information to enhance, up-level, reimagine, and reinvent your life and your livelihood. No matter where you started, where you are now, or where you've been, you too can lead an authentic, first-class life. Each week, new stories of turning points and transformation will help you define what success means to you so you can live your best life on your terms. Now here's your host, first-class life mentor and certified Profiting From Your Passions coach, Kate Bessler. Welcome to Change Redefining Success. I'm Kate Fessler. My guest today is sports broadcaster and author Jen Mueller. Jen pursued a career in sports broadcasting after repeated comments of talks too much from teachers and family members. A 17-year sports broadcasting veteran, Jen currently serves as the Seattle Seahawks sideline radio reporter. She's also part of the Seattle Mariners television broadcast team on Root Sports. In addition to her work on the sidelines, Jen launched Talk Sporty to Me in 2009 and teaches business professionals how to improve communication and leverage fandom in business. Jen is the author of three books. Her most recent, The Influential Conversationalist, was published just this month, October 2017. Jen graduated from Southern Methodist University in 2000 with degrees in broadcasting journalism and public policy. Welcome, Jen. Thank you so much for having me. Tell me about the talks too much comments. Were you one of those who whispered to their friends in class instead of listening to the teacher? Or were you more of a share it with everyone kind of kid? I I was the share it with everyone. You know, it's not like you could even discipline me. I mean, I guess you could. It's not like I was trying to have these covert conversations in the corner. I just found that, you know, conversations were so fascinating and there was so much to share that my answers tended to be a lot longer. My presentations were longer. When I got excited, I just wanted to talk to people. And uh, that tended to frustrate most of my teachers and my parents, <laughs> namely my father. But we've overcome that or at least found a way to work that to my advantage. <laughs> right. Well, the talking too much thing could have led to any number of outlets. How and when did you decide that sports reporter was a career for you? You know, I really thought that that talks too much comment was going to lead me to be a teacher. When I was a kid, that's all I wanted to be. I was going to be a third grade Lutheran school teacher. I had taught vacation Bible school. The age group of kids that I wanted to be around. And when I was in high school, my guidance counselor kind of brought me into her office and we were going over college applications. And she said, you know what, Jennifer? I have this feeling, you know, I know that you like to talk a lot and you're not afraid to talk in front of people. Have you ever broadcasting? And as a 16 or 17 year old kid, it's not a thought that had crossed my mind because who do we know who's ever been on television? You know, right. it, just yeah. like, it just seemed like the furthest thing from one's mind. I had no idea how to get started in it, but I thought it was interesting. And once I started looking into it, I realized that if it didn't work, or if I didn't like going down that path, that teaching was still going to be an option. I figured out 
you know, how to line up classes so that I'd only have to take an extra class to get a teaching certificate. I knew what it would take if I had to go back to school. I knew how to, to kind of navigate that. So I felt pretty comfortable at least pursuing the broadcasting part. And the sports was easy. I was always a fan. I was always an athlete. I'd much rather talk about sports than most of the other subjects on TV. <laughs> so how did you get started? Like, how does one go about crafting a career in broadcasting? Well, you start by taking the classes. So you go to the school that offers classes, which sounds really silly, but it's true. And I think it's it's so applicable to anything that you do in business. You kind of have the general idea of where you want to go. And so you just take the first step. And it builds on each other. And so as you're taking your broadcasting classes and you figure out which part of broadcasting do you really like, do you like the writing part? Do you like the behind the scenes? Do you like being on camera? Do you like doing the interviews? That shapes the next step of where you're going to focus. But every internship that I ever had was related to sports. I felt really comfortable working in the athletic department. I felt really comfortable writing stories for the, the school newspaper about the game. I felt comfortable interviewing athletes because that's what I grew up watching and emulating. And so I made sure that jobs that I applied for were in that vein. And you start getting enough of that experience on your resume and you get the opportunity to step into more of those experiences. So. It seems like a stretch, but looking back, it really is just one step at a time. Mm. You've been in the business 17 years. Who were yes. your early role models <laughs> and what changes have you seen for women in sports reporting over time? You know, my earliest role model was a gal named Lisa Miloski. She was a sports reporter in Houston. And she did a lot of the Houston Rockets pre and post game shows, which is how I got a chance to see her. I grew up in Houston. I should point that out. Oh, and okay. I, I watched her on the nightly sportscast. And this was back in the day where there were only a, a handful of women doing that at the local level on a very regular basis. And I was so enamored by her. I thought she was so pretty. I thought she was so great at what she was doing. And I thought that she had a dream job. I wrote her a letter like an actual pen on paper letter. And she wrote me back. And one of the things that I had said in, her, in the letter was, you know, you've got the greatest job. I would love to have that job. And she wrote back and she said something to the effect of, I do have a great job. It's important to remember that athletes are people too. Because somewhere in that letter, I'd said, man, it'd be so great to talk to the athletes after all of these games. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize the significance of that statement because I didn't have the experience of being around athletes, but I never forgot those words. And when I started to work in the business, I realized how important that is to grasp that for all the money, for all the status that these athletes have, they are just people. And when you treat them like people, you get a lot more out of that relationship. Now, funny story, just this last summer while I was working on my book, I reached out to Lisa Miloski. I found her on LinkedIn and I, oh. I wrote to her and I said, Lisa, there is no way you're ever going to remember this, but I just want you to know the impact that you had. And we had a really lovely correspondence of, gosh, it's been you know over 25 years since I wrote that letter, but she was so gracious then, she's just as gracious now. 
Um, and she's doing fantastic. But yeah, she was she was certainly one. I think her writing that letter back gave me a little encouragement that there were good people that I could get along with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So speaking of athletes are people too. It was a big deal when women reporters were allowed into the locker mm-hmm. room. I always mm-hmm. wondered, why does anybody have to go into the locker room? Can't these guys just get dressed in peace? <laughs> why is that important? You know, you wonder the same thing that my father wondered when I got into the <laughs> And quite honestly, the same thing that I have wondered a few times during the course of my career. Look, here's the thing. If it were a policy that the only place you could talk to athletes were outside the locker room, that would be just fine with me. The thing about it is that when you have open locker room, if there's only one segment of the media core who gets to go in, whether it's the male segment or the newspaper reporters or the radio reporters, you're missing out on some really key, not just information, but relationship building time. Because Mm -hmm. here's what really happens in a locker room. And and I know people think that it's glamorous and it is anything but that. After a game, it is chaotic. It is loud. It is hectic. It stinks. I mean, like, actually stinks. Those guys smell badly after games. (laughs) And and if they played a bad game or had a loss, it is not the place you want to be. During the course of the week, when I go into a locker room, what I'm actually doing is just having these conversations with them. Sometimes I need to get some information about the game or an opponent or a play, but what I'm really doing is walking around and checking in, to, and checking in with them. They're closed when I do it. Um, the guys who are walking in between the shower or the, tra- the training room who are in towels or you know just shorts, y- you know not to talk to them at that moment. <laughs> They're not ready okay. for you yet. <laughs> you know, you stay away from them, and they, they stay away from you. Um, but really, what, why the reason you need to be in there is because that's where relationships are built and because you can't just have one group of people going in there and not the other. Right. So I'm a football fan. I'm wearing mm-hmm. my Seahawks 12 sweater today, Blue Friday. Yay! It seems as if more women are watching. It also seems as if the NFL is realizing that, or at least their merchandisers are making more female-oriented yep. gear, like my sweater. What have yep. you observed about the fans in the stands over time? I would say you're absolutely right about merchandising, and the NFL made a huge push to do that about five to seven years ago. Um, and I really appreciate that, even on the sidelines, finally having shirts that fit, you know, and don't look like I'm wearing my brother's or my dad's pullovers. Um, (laughs) You know, here's the thing. It's so fascinating to me. And I really don't think twice about it because it's my job to talk about sports. It's amazing how many of my conversations with people start with the Seahawks and start with football. And I don't think twice. I don't think to not ask a, a woman if they watch the game on Sunday. And so many of them, all of my girlfriends watch sports. Every single one of them knows what happens in that Seahawks game. And I just take it for granted. But you're right. You know, 15 years ago, that wasn't always the case. And now I would say you're seeing a ton of fans and not just 
female fans who wear jerseys and who have the apparel, but who play fantasy football and who can talk about the game with just as much authority and confidence as any fan. Yeah, fantasy football, that's interesting because that's fairly new. And uh, yeah, mm -hmm. I know a lot of women who were never really interested in football, but now they they play fantasy football either against their, you know, against their family, against their spouse, like they, they get very competitive. <laughs> it's a great way. You know, I personally don't play. I just have so much where I'm trying to be in certain matchups to do my game prep and get ready for a game that adding that layer on tends to be a distraction for me. But here's what I really like about fantasy football. Number one, if you are a new fan, it's a great way to figure out who you're going to cheer for and what you're watching for on game day. You don't have to know the rules of football to participate in fantasy because there's lots of different types of fantasy football where you can at least be part of the conversation. And number two, being part of the conversation is hugely important, not just in your family situation, but when it comes to business. And everybody knows that fantasy football, look, you can be the best fantasy player in the world, and it's still kind of a crapshoot based on, mm. you know, factors outside of your control. So it doesn't matter if you're a good player or not. It puts you in, you know, the group of people at work that are playing fantasy football. That opens up relationship building opportunities and conversation avenues for you every week. Yeah, good point. You must travel a lot with the Mariners yeah. and the Seahawks. How yeah. often are you away from home and how many airlines do you have super elite status on? Well, here's the thing. I am a diehard Alaska Airlines traveler. Every year I get NVP gold status on Alaska, but it's usually because I take a mileage run in November and December. Oh. One of the things about my travel schedule, I am fortunate enough that because I'm employed by the Seahawks, I actually travel on their planes. And oh, because nice. I work directly for the Mariners, I travel on their planes. So it's not that we travel in like these luxurious accommodations. It really just means that you can get from point A to B point from point A to point B faster. You don't have as much of the lag time in between or going through security checkpoints. We have our own way of doing security screenings um, at the stadium or on the tarmac. So I travel a lot. I'm gone every weekend during the football season and I'll be gone during the baseball season at least six weeks um, over the course of the year in like seven to 10 day increments. Wow. That's a lot. So how does that, what's that like on the planes with the team? Do you have like a separate section? Do you all hang mm -hmm. out together? So football tends to be, we travel with a lot of people. I mean, we travel with over 120 people for football and that's the players. The Seahawks take their injured players if they are you know, physically able to travel. They take their practice squad players. There's a huge contingency of medical personnel that goes. They also have equipment guys and guys that do their videos. They've got an entire coaching staff, which is much larger than what many people realize. And mm -hmm. then you've got staff members that include PR and then the broadcast staff. So what usually happens is coaches sit up front, 
staff sits in the middle section and the players sit in coach. And it is a regular plane. The players really are sitting in coach seats, just like <laughs> you or I would be. How do they it's, fit in those I seats? know, right? Can you just see it? They tend to lay across the seats. We travel on pretty large plane, like double-aisled planes. So, so they get to lay across seats. During baseball, they do have a smaller plane that is specifically a charter plane. So it's not a normal plane that would be in circulation for the public. Um, so that gets separated a little differently for the most part. You know, I do a lot of work on planes and I watch a lot of TV shows. You tend to mingle a little bit more on a baseball plane than a football one because baseball travel is so much of what you do. You're mm -hmm. so, you know, every two to three days you're on a plane. You're going to someplace new. It's just a very different vibe than traveling for one game with a football team. Right, right. What is the most extreme weather at a game oh. that you've had to endure in your career? <laughs> Did you look this one up ahead of time? Or are you just asking this one out of sheer curiosity? I'm just asking, yeah. Okay. Oh, why? So is I there something published somewhere about this? No, well... So here's the thing. I've experienced really hot weather a few years ago in San Diego for a Seahawks game. On the field, it was 120 degrees. It was oh really hot. It was exhausting. But I tell you what, nothing will ever top the Seahawks playoff game in Minnesota where it was minus 25 wind chill and I stood outside for six hours. It was... <laughs> You tell yourself that the cold doesn't matter. No, no, no. Everybody's got to deal with it. And then you get on the plane and everybody goes, you know, like my eyes, my, my eyeballs were freezing shut. There were icicles hanging out of my nose. Like what the heck is going on here? It, oh, it was craziness. Yes. So people yes. say, you know, with cold, you can always put more on, but with heat, you, <laughs> there's only so much you can take off. But it sounds like there's... you're saying the cold was harder to deal with. <laughs> You know, here's what happens. I did not realize this, but we all did a little bit of medical research. So I had the best cold weather gear I could find. I spent, I think, my entire game day paycheck in cold weather gear. So I was well prepared. I had battery-operated socks and gloves and a vest, and the vest was great. When you are in temperature that cold, the batteries run out very quickly. And oh, you man. can't really replace the batteries because that would require you to take off layers of clothes, which would expose you to extreme temperatures. Because the minute you pulled the face mask or the ski mask type, you know, head warmer mm -hmm. thing away from your mouth, you had icicles forming in your nose. No joke. Oh, so you just kind of have to gut it through. But what happens when you get that cold is your, your body starts shutting down. <laughs> I didn't know mm. this. Your brain starts shutting down certain functions so that it can stay alive. <laughs> and so by the end of the game, Russell Okun was playing in that game, and he was my walk-off interview. This is the game that Blair Walsh, Walsh missed the game-winning field goal, and the Seahawks ended up winning in this crazy game. So we're doing this interview, walking off the field together, and he came back to me two days later and he said, Jen, I'm so sorry. I have no idea what I said. <laughs> my brain didn't function. I said, that's okay, because I have no idea what I asked. Like, I could not put together a cohesive sentence or question to save my life. Yeah, it, it is challenging when it is super, super cold. 
Boy, that's amazing. And then if it's that bad for you on the sidelines, I mean, they don't get the benefit of the of the parkas and everything else. But I guess no, with the, the running around, nuts. maybe that helps. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, no, they were still cold and they were nuts. You know, the guys were in the short sleeves. You're like, come on, guys. It is freezing outside. Put some clothes on. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well... On a more serious topic, there's a lot of controversy in the NFL right now, in particular with the national anthem protests and the owner of the Houston Texans just Mm. caused a furor when he said, you can't let the inmates run the prison. What effects are you hearing and seeing on the players, but also the fans in the game itself? You know, I would say I am very fortunate to work for an organization who allows the players to dive into these topics. You know, Pete Carroll is the kind of coach who doesn't shut down this conversation. And we have seen a few of the Seahawks players react very strongly to Mr. McNair's words that were published recently. And it's a big deal because the Texans will be in town and, because of the context of the conversations happening across the country right now. Mm -hmm. I think it's interesting and I think it's important that dialogue takes place and to understand that just because these are high profile, highly paid athletes, it doesn't mean that their life is easier in all regards. And I'm proud of the Seahawks players for trying to understand all sides of the issue right now and previously they've done this with other topics but trying to understand what the issue entails and trying to promote some dialogue that's taking place i think that fans could benefit from watching how some of the seahawks players respond and i just mean and kate you're so good at this when it comes to understanding you know the emotion and a constructive conversation Whether you agree or disagree, just understanding how to disagree like an adult Mm -hmm. or understanding how to hear somebody's point of view and have empathy. You don't have to agree, but just have a little bit of empathy. And I know that people are looking at NFL ratings and they want to be really quick to blame controversy for that. I think if you ask people in the industry, the real reason that NFL ratings are down is because viewership is changing. The way we watch television is changing. That's Mm -hmm. the real reason for ratings. What I hope this does and what I hope we can say looking back, you know, 20 years from now is that it sparked a different type of conversation and caused us to really stop, think and feel. Yeah, and that goes back to what your your role model said, right? Remember that the athletes are people too. People too. Yeah. 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 And and they're trying to figure it out just like the rest of us are. Yeah. So a little bit ago, Cam Newton, quarterback for mm. the Carolina Panthers, got in trouble for some yes. comments he made to a female sports reporter that were considered disparaging. What do you think about what happened? <laughs> Well, I would say this. Every conversation reinforces what somebody thinks about you or causes them to rethink what they know. 
And I would say that Cam Newton came across in that instance as being immature and uninformed. I think that there have been a few instances where he has come across that way. I think the reporter in that instance handled it with great class and grace. And if it were me, and I know people have asked, you know, well, what kind of discrimination, what kind of disparaging comments? I have heard my share in the years that I have been in sports, and I have heard some that are just egregiously sexist and um, inappropriate. When it comes to comments that are made that are kind of um, questionable, I would first look at, it, should I be concerned about that person's comment? If it's my boss, if it's the person who's paying me, if it's the team that I'm reporting to making the comments, then yes, I, I really need to take a closer look. But if it's just going to be somebody else who's trying to stir the pot, then I need to make sure that I'm focused on what my job is. And so um, I think the reporter did a great job and she knew, well, I don't know that she knew at that moment, but the spotlight was on her and she came across as being very capable and handling that in a very gracious manner. Mm -hmm. Have you experienced sexual harassment on the job? Are you in the mm -hmm. hashtag me too camp? Like almost <laughs> every woman I know, including myself. Well, yes, but that is not what my daily workplace is like. As a brand new employee, before I had even graduated from college, I had my first full-time job and I was booking guests on a sports radio show in Dallas. And I had booked a guest and I was part of this meeting that we were having and my manager called me into a separate room and he said, I hired you to wear short skirts and open doors, not to think. So you need to be quiet in these meetings. Oh, that is classic. Which, you know, as a college student, you know, I, I still hadn't graduated. And I'm thinking, what am I supposed to do with this now? And I got mad. And here's the worst part. I got so mad. I got out of that meeting. I threw a pen against the wall. You know, those thick pens that are clear plastic? Uh -huh. I threw that pen against the wall so hard it shattered, and people thought I had anger manage management issues. So then I got labeled <laughs> as the chick who was angry all the time without them knowing the conversation that preceded the pen-throwing incident. Mm. Um, but what I would say is that is not what I encounter on a daily basis. The athletes that I work with and the coaches that I deal with are incredibly respectful, kind, helpful, gracious. Um, that's not to say that you don't hear little things here and there, but look, I grew up, well, I grew up in Texas. I also spent 10 years as a high school football official. I know the importance of picking your battles, and I know what my battle is. And am I willing to ignore um, a few comments from people who want to act immature or uninformed, yeah, I can, I can handle that. Again, if it's the person saying it to me as my manager or my boss, as it was almost 20 years ago, that's mm -hmm. concerning to me. But I am very fortunate, very blessed that that is not my day-to-day -day at this point. I am very happy to hear that. So we've got to take a short break. When we come back, talk sporty to me. 
Do you feel like you're drowning in administrivia? Do you have a podcast you would like transcribed to repurpose as a blog or even a best-selling book? Rhonda's virtual office is the answer to the freedom you crave so you can get busy doing what you love. Let Rhonda's virtual office give you the relief you need. Visit rondasvirtualoffice.com and get some peace of mind today. Rhonda's virtual office is the go-to transcription service for EWN Podcast Network. for joining us. This is the EWN Podcast Network. Welcome back. You are listening to Change, Redefining Success. I'm Kate Fessler, and today my guest is sportscaster and author Jen Mueller. Jen, you started a business in 2009 called Talk Sporty to Me, which is coincidentally the title of your first book. What inspired you to create it, and what did you want to bring to people? You know, I never wanted to start a business. That is the disclaimer off the top. I was very naive in understanding what went into wanting to be a public speaker and having a backup plan. So I know that as a sports broadcaster and being a female in this industry, my career will likely end sooner than many men in the industry. This is just a fact that I have seen and watched happen for other people. So I wanted to have a backup plan and make sure that I was in control of my career. I was approached by a group of women from KPMG, which is a huge accounting firm, and they asked for a little bit of advice on how to talk sports at work because they saw their male counterparts entertaining potential clients at sporting events. Those potential clients became clients. So their male counterparts had a, you know, higher status, more money, bigger bonuses, even though everything else was equal, the education level, the time in the company, and these gals just didn't quite see the correlation. So they asked me to come in and kind of help them out. And as I was preparing the first talk, I realized it wasn't just women. It's not just accounting. There is a way to make sports useful in business outside of just talking about the scores. And so Talk Sporty to me came out of that desire to help people build relationships, communicate more effectively, and use a topic that more than half of all Americans say they identify with. Yeah, your second book is called Game Time. Learn to talk sports in five minutes a day for business. Sounds like that is your audience. It it is kind of the how-to, right? Because if you Google how to become a sports fan, I guarantee you the advice is horrible. You do not become a football fan by reading a rule book. I should know. I was a football (laughs) official. I can study a rule book. That's not how you do it. But yet we go to things like a football 101 thinking that that's the key that unlocks all the secrets. It's not. You know, learning how to read a sports headline and engage in a conversation, that is where you get your biggest opportunities in a conversation. So that book really does break it down into very practical ways that you can engage in conversations, grow your sports knowledge base, And again, further those relationships that you need in business. And maybe understand the sports analogies that we all use all the time, like moving the goalposts or leveling the playing Mm. field. Uh Uh-huh. Exactly. Yes. You'll have a greater understanding when those pop up, too. 
Which brings me to your third book, the, with a less sports-focused title, The Influential Conversationalist, Conversation Skills That Develop Leadership Potential. From where do you yes. draw these lessons and techniques? <laughs> well, they still go back to sports. And this book was a challenge in a number of different areas. But this is my take on leadership. And I'm not an expert on leadership or becoming one or leadership styles. But what I am an expert at is conversation. And I understand how those conversations that you don't think matter in the course of your day actually set you up for your biggest successes. Because I talk for a living and I talk on a pretty big stage for a living in high leverage situations where I need somebody to give me an answer that's acceptable for a television or viewing audience that is significant. And so the strategies and the stories in the book are straight from the sidelines in the locker rooms. It's from my career as a business owner, and it's reinforced by several athletes, including Doug Baldwin, who wrote the forward, Richard Sherman, Cam Chancellor, Bobby Wagner, KJ Wright, uh, Robinson Cano, Nelson Cruz, Kyle Seeger, they are all in the book um, and back up what I say. And I'm fortunate that they were willing to lend their voices and their names to this project. Yeah, that's some star power we got there. As you fun. mentioned, uh, the sports connection isn't gone altogether. There's a sports watch and talk box at the end of every chapter. What's in there and why is that important? So this is. A, you know, again, because I'm a sports fan, I can't take the sports out of me. And it's okay because more than half of all Americans say that they're sports fans, which is about, I don't know, 170 million people conservatively. Mm. So I know that there's a lot of sports fans out there. But here's the real reason why sports is such a good um, visual and example for what we should be doing. It's one of the very few places that you have to have face-to-face, real-time communication to be effective. Mm. A quarterback doesn't email the plays. A coach doesn't (laughs) send a tweet with adjustments. You actually have to have conversations. And you see them so often during a game and during an interview that if you know what to look for, it helps reinforce what we should all be doing at work and in our daily interactions. Ah. So how does the concept of becoming an influential conversationalist fit in with some of the current challenges facing corporate environments in the areas of diversity, inclusion, or even sexism in the workplace? You know, I think a lot of problems can be overcome just by communicating more effectively. And we assume that people know how to have the conversations. Richard Sherman said this just a couple of days ago in regard to growing in the league. You know, we get to the point where you just assume that you've already done this. We've got a whole bunch of folks encouraging dialogue across the United States about lots of topics, including diversity and inclusion and sexism. And we are preaching this to a group of people who go out of their way to avoid conversations. If Hmm. we just get back to understanding how to have a conversation and learning how to speak up in a conversation, how to actually present your ideas in a conversation, when you become 
the person that people want to talk to, you have the most influence in the room. If people don't come to talk to you about small stuff, like the score of the game or who you think is going to win the World Series, there is no chance they are randomly going to come and talk to you about the big decision that they need some input on or the job that they think that you should apply for. You have to build the relationships. Conversations get you there. Yeah. Well, we're almost out of time, so I have to ask you, what is one book or resource besides your own that changed your life that you would recommend to people? You know, I, I'm, I'm going to answer with Outliers by Malcolm Gladwell, but I would pick any of Malcolm Gladwell's books, and here's why. I'm not great with all the numbers. I'm not great with economics. I didn't go to business school. You already read my credentials, right? There's a reason I talk for a living. But what I loved about Outliers was understanding that success sometimes is just a matter of hard work because that hard work develops your expertise, which should give anybody inspiration and confidence to just keep doing what they're doing. I think all of his writing gives you a different way to look at challenges, how to approach problems, and encourages you to find your own way to do things. I think he's a fantastic writer. I reread his stuff often, but Outliers is the one that um, I found to be very, very interesting. Excellent recommendation. If people want to find out more about you and maybe buy one of one or all three of your books, how can they do that? Well, I would recommend that they check out the website, which is talksporty2me.com. And if you are looking to kind of sample the book, you can download a free chapter. It's the chapter on career development and how four of those Seahawks that I mentioned earlier, uh, their draft day grades were terrible. And yet mm. they ended up to be pro bowlers. So they did something right in their career development. And if you're not quite into the whole sports thing or you don't know where to start, you can also sign up to become sports savvy by 7am every Monday morning. I do the hard work for you. All you have to do is read the email in about two minutes and you'll be ready to go. Ooh, awesome. I'm going to sign up for that. <laughs> there you go. Even though I do watch the games. One more thing before we go, Jen. You grew up in Houston. How are you feeling about the Astros winning the World Series? <laughs> Not just for the first time in a long time, but the first time ever. The first time ever. You know, it's awesome. It's really cool on the heels of everything that Houston has gone through this year with Hurricane Harvey and just how much that's impacted people and, and how much this means to the community. But you know, it's so interesting. I was thinking about it as I was watching those final outs of game seven. It's one of the first times in a long time I was actually a fan and that I was actually able to cheer. You know, for as many games as I watch, you know, you, you want the teams that you cover to win, but you're not cheering in the same way. And so it was just interesting to go through all of those emotions and to be reminded what that feels like again. Wow, that's a really interesting point. Now, I heard that Sports Illustrated predicted this win this year. Astros winning the World Series in 2017 about three or four years ago. Yes. Did you know How about that? that? I did. 
I did. And I remember looking at that. And here's the thing. The picture they put on the cover, it was George Springer. He hit five home runs in the month of October. It was unbelievable. He was on fire. And, you know, I remember looking at that and thinking, man, wouldn't that be great? But how often does Sports Illustrated get it right on their covers? You know, they've got this kind of Sports Illustrated curse that they're known for. How awesome is that, that they just nailed the prediction? Yeah, that's amazing. Now, it took seven games, as it should, really, in a championship championship series, in my humble opinion. Did Mm -hmm. your faith in the outcome ever waver? Yes. It did. I mean, this was this was a back and forth series, and I saw the game. It was game six, and I thought the Astros had their best shot to close it out. Justin Verlander was on the mound. They had runners in scoring position. They were threatening. They couldn't score, and I thought, you know, when the Dodgers won that game at home and knowing that game seven was also going to be in L.A., I thought, man, Houston blew their chance. It is tough to give the home team that much momentum. And yeah, again, that goes back to actually feeling the emotions of the fan. And one half inning, you're super stoked. And then the next half inning, you're like, I cannot believe this. My team is going to lose. I cannot believe this. Like, what just happened? (laughs) So, yes, I'm ashamed to say my faith wavered a little bit. But in the end, I could celebrate and scream and jump up and down. In the end, it all worked out. Well, congratulations on the hometown team victory. And thank Thank you so much for spending some time with us today. Really appreciate it. Absolutely. Anytime, Kate. I will be right back after this brief commercial message. Have you ever asked yourself this question? Why is it so hard to make a buck? (laughs) I know I have. Hi, I'm Sandra Yancey, founder and CEO of eWomen Network. What I have discovered after going from the brink of bankruptcy to running a multi-million dollar award-winning business is this. You can't build a million dollar dream hanging around minimum wage mindsets. My mission is one million women entrepreneurs generating one million dollars in annual revenue. So here's what I've done. I've created the mother of all entrepreneur success programs that you can access online on your time. It's called Monetize Me Now. It's a seven-module online course that is 100% my success formula, covering mindset, mission, management, motivation, marketing, and measure. Come on, take my hand, and I'll show you the way to learn to earn flowing revenue for your business. Visit monetizemenow.com for details. Thanks for joining us. Back now with your host, Kate Fessler. How wonderful to have someone at a young age help turn what many people would consider a negative, talks too much, into a powerful career direction. Much different than my previous guest who was discouraged and actually abandoned the thing she was passionate about for a while before returning to it and making it a big part of her joyful life. Were you scolded for or discouraged from something when you were a kid that you wish you would have been encouraged to nurture? Well, it's never too late. I can help you clarify what it is you really want and make a plan to get there, whether it's a big change in your lifestyle or one or more streams of income that feeds your soul as well as your bank account. If you're ready to make the leap, send me an email at firstclasslifeoutlook.com or contact me through my Facebook page, First Class Life Solutions, to set up a complimentary strategy session. We'll see if working together is the right next step for you. 
What's your story? If you'd like to share it on my podcast to inspire others, please click on the link at the bottom of the show page. Fill out the survey and I'll be in touch. Next week, my guest is Dr. Carol Parker Walsh. Carol is an acclaimed author, speaker, corporate consultant, and confident image coach. She's the founder of Evolve Image Consulting, a professional development company that educates entrepreneurs and business leaders on developing an effective, empowering, and confident image. Her unparalleled ability to empower not only individuals but businesses through transformative methods has allowed her clients to go from ordinary to to extraordinary in a very short period of time. Carol's one of 10 licensed fashion feng shui masters in the world, a master NLP practitioner, and combines her education, JD and PhD, and experience to help her clients implement proven strategies to increase profit, productivity, self-confidence, and success. With 25 years as an attorney, management consultant, professor, and dean, Carol ran a six-figure organizational consulting practice and won national awards for building a 100-plus sales force, developing leaders, and business development. Carol's a premier success coach with the eWomen Network, the vice president for global marketing for the Association of Image Consultants International, editor-in-chief of the AICI Global Magazine, is a regular contributor to the Vancouver Business Journal, the Oregonian, and KATU2's AM Northwest, and has been seen in the Huffington Post and on ABC, CBS, NBC, and Fox. I hope you'll join us. Until then, here's to your authentic first-class life. I'm Kate Fessler. Thanks for listening to Change, Redefining Success. This is the EWN Podcast Network. I'm Sandra Yancey, CEO and founder of eWomen Network. We invite you to listen to all of our EWN podcast hosts at ewnpodcastnetwork.com.